Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, it's Chinese New Year. We're here to talk about Mermaid and Deadpool setting box office records. A Hong Kong girl group member makes it big in Korea. We'll also get into some uh, New Year movie madness and talking about some other things. But of course, it's the year of the monkey, so it's fitting that our first film review of the Lunar New Year is The Monkey King 2. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and coming to you from his news desk behind the right ear of the great sage himself is Mr. Kevin Ma. Oh, hey there, Paul. Hey, <laughs> happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new everybody. Yeah, how's yeah. it going? Nine, you know, just humming a ditty, you yeah. know, New Year's song ditty. Year of the Monkey, uh, lots of lots of new movies out, and we're going to be talking about um, all of these, hopefully in turn, well, most of them, I'll say. And uh, But, you know, how? what have you been doing besides watching movies? Anything significant? Is there anything else worth doing, Paul, during the <laughs> holiday? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, you know. I don't have much much family commitments. I do my thing on the first day of the new year, and then and then you know my friends are my good friends, the one that I usually get together with. They're out of town, and so for me, it's like oh, it's perfect time to catch up on films. So in addition to the the new year films, I've been catching up on some screeners. I watched Gaspar Noise. So this is the the French director, his pseudo pornographic art film Love, which was. Uh, <laughs> that was very interesting. And I just finished Spike Lee's Chirac today, which is amazing, which is really great on Amazon, Amazon Video. I just said Amazon, which is really weird. But anyway, you know, went to the gym. Um, yeah. Not much chance to catch up on TV, though. That's yeah. how Prime members say it, right? Yeah, Prime members see it. Amazon. Um, Amazon? I'm on yeah, Amazon. Because you know, it, brings, it, it brings it up to a certain class, a clause. <laughs> Paul. You know. Yeah, indeed. Well, for me, it's been more of the same. I mean... A lot of time spending with family, but I did try and uh, catch up on TV shows and, of course, movies. Still a bit behind on the 2015 movies. I haven't caught up on quite as many of those as I had planned to, just because family coming in and relatives and things, and just trying to spend a lot of time with my daughter in the few days that we have off here. Yeah, how's he? Was any anything special for the uh, for for daughter and anything new experiences or New Year's? Not really. We were a bit lazy this year. Uh, we didn't do sort of the traditional. We didn't get her a traditional sort of Chinese New Year outfit and and pictures. And uh, I think my wife's a little bit disappointed. That, but uh, we just wanted to relax this year, so we just had the family over. We didn't really go anywhere. We did go out to movies, and we mo- mostly just tried to hit morning shows. So we had the afternoons free to go out and play in the park, and and just basically you know, have as much family time as possible. And it's nice because you you tend to get a little bit anxious around the holidays. You know, just like any holiday, you know, Christmas or Thanksgiving in the states, you, you plan a lot of big family gatherings, and things can get a little bit tense. So sometimes it's nice just to just to have a small gathering with the family unit. Anyway. We hope you're all having a wondrous year of the monkey so far, and we're going to talk about some of the movies that have come out during this period. But before we get to that, why don't we throw it back over to Kevin at the news desk with this week's news. Yeah, um, not not a lot of news during the holidays, at least movie news. So, you know, mainly about the box office and, and um, we could talk about Korean a little bit. Of course, Hong Kong related. But first up, Mermaid, which we're going to talk about next week, right, Paul? Yes, indeed. Right. So we're going to talk about the film next week, but it's already setting box office records here in Hong Kong and also in China. In China, it broke the local record for the best opening day for a local film, beating Lost in Hong Kong, despite going up against From Vegas to Macau, Korea, 
and um, Monkey King 2, a original fran- non-franchise film, actually broke the box office record, which I think is, is you know, pretty cool. But also in Hong Kong, um, Mermaid uh, actually broke Stephen Chow's own record for the biggest opening day ever for a Chinese language film. Uh, it broke Kung Fu Hustle's record, making $4.91 million uh, Hong Kong dollars. Uh, on Monday, New Year's Day. And then yesterday, Deadpool, though it was an official, um, it wasn't the official opening day. Actually, Thursday is the official opening day. So, so um, Tuesday and Wednesdays, uh, the last two days of the holidays, even though those two shows were counted as sort of early screenings, Deadpool actually broke, set a new record for a Category 3 film here in Hong Kong. <laughs> so uh, take that, 3D Sex and Zen. Deadpool's in town, and it made four point four point five million uh, Hong Kong dollars yesterday, which is... Uh, or five mil, um, but anyway, it set a new opening record for Fox uh, for Category Three. Yeah, just just really impressive. And in fact, it broke the number one, the best opening record for Category Three film, and also it broke uh, the best opening day record for 20th Century Fox Hong Kong. But anyway, 20th Century Fox Hong Kong has now added a special two Category Two B showings of the film over the weekend. Two B meaning that. Audiences under 18 years old can actually go and watch the film. It's almost like a rated R, but without you know any specific age restriction, which is only actually 10 seconds shorter than the Category 3 version we have here in Hong Kong. So actually, they only needed to cut 10 seconds for, for it not to be Category 3, and it still broke box office record. So uh, really impressive. And um, what about that boycott? The 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 so-called the netizen boycott of Wang Jing's uh, from Vegas to Macau free. You know there wasn't any widespread uh, effort, as in the, the it was a widespread effort on the internet. But as we all know, everything that happens on the internet doesn't exactly reflect real life. So from Vegas to Macau free has made a lot of money. It made I think twelve million within the first four days. But it did it is opening lower than the previous installment, and is expected to make less money than two. But worth remembering that actually From Vegas to Macau 2 made less money than From Vegas to Macau 1 uh, in Hong Kong. So it's sort of more, it's really more part of a steady downward trend, which is kind of odd, especially, especially when you think that Wandering has actually upped the ante of its installments, so it should be making more money. And that's really only happening in China, not, not really here in Hong Kong. So is the boycott working? Small doses, it it did help, you know, it did make an impact on the box office here in Hong Kong, but not in a real significant way, as in it was still selling out shows. So, um, yeah, uh, we'll really truly know the effect of this boycott. But as for the New Year's holiday, looks like it's Stephen Chow and Deadpool's world. And uh, same in China, you know, where Stephen Chow has beaten his old, I shouldn't say mentor, but his old collaborator, Wang Jing, uh, at the box office. And if, we're not talking about the film yet, but considering that, you know, since we've seen the film, I can kind of put my personal opinion on this. Great! Oh, great. Mermaid's a great, great film. It's a funny film. It totally deserves it. There we go. Yeah, I agree in, in both cases, both Mermaid and Deadpool. Glad to see them both uh, finding a lot of success. And I think it it's indicative, too, of Stephen Chow's brand. You know, his brand name carries a lot of weight. People were excited to see him do more stuff. I do think that they had some pretty good marketing for the film as well. And, right. And that, that perhaps played a a significant part here, at least in, in Hong Kong. I know I mean I know that the uh the week or so, a couple of weeks before, you know, posters everywhere, huge billboard signs everywhere. And Stephen Chow bu- or Echo buying buying Hong Kong Star Ferry rides. Yeah. And in China, actually interestingly enough, in China the film actually did not do any early screenings for exhibitors or for press or anyone. So they were so confident that the film would do really well that they actually kept it hidden from the from any kind of audience until the very well until opening day essentially and actually they should have that kind of confidence because the film is good um so deadpool i think deadpool is also kind of a success of marketing it's because the film always sold a character more than the film and but the story and it's true if you watch the film it's a very much it's just much stronger in terms of character than in terms of the actual story I think. And I think it's a total success on actually no false advertising at all. It totally delivered on giving you a really cool character. 
but congratulations to the Fox team, the Edgo team, um, Stephen Chaucer. Wow, you, you rock. Yes, red packets for all. Yep. All right, our next bit of news is something about uh, Hong Kong's Got Talent, right? Yeah, um, Hong Kong girl groups aren't... We haven't really had a really successful girl group here in Hong Kong after Twins, I think. Oh, would, you, um, would you consider Cookies successful? No, Cookies came, came after away. Twins? I think so. Did they come after yeah, Twins? I think they're after Twins. But I think I think the members themselves are more successful than the group itself. Yeah, no doubt. I would I argue. Mean, that, yeah, so, I agree with that. So, so since... Okay, okay let's say Cookies. <laughs> Just for the sake of... Because I know you're a fan of... You know, anyway. Um, but yeah, um, there hasn't been really huge successful girl groups since Twin Slash Cookies. But one group is sort of making headlines outside of Hong Kong. A small group called S1. Actually, not small. Sorry, I think that's six members. Um, they're backed by Sun Entertainment Group based in Macau. And uh, they've been sort of going back and forth Korea and Hong Kong the last couple of years. Uh, in fact, they actually made their debut last year in, uh, in Korea. But one of the members, Shin, I think she's quarter Korean, has made it big actually in Korea because she has joined a Korean talent reality show called Produce 101, which brings 101 aspiring pop idols together. As in, these girls are all signed to various talent agencies and they're all trainees to be in you know girl groups and to be idols. And they're brought together, and the final nine will be formed into one group for CJ Entertainment, which is Korea's biggest entertainment-wise, entertainment industry-wise, the biggest chaebot in the country. So Shin, this this girl uh, who is as the, the I think the leader of As One, has entered the race and actually has become quite successful in the show. So yeah, I mean she's already like named one of the better contestants, and I think she's in the top twenty. And the show's now on its third week or fourth week. And um, yeah, she, she's actually making Hong Kong real proud. But interestingly, um, the netizens in, in Hong Kong, they've taken a, a performance of S1, or they've taken two performances of S1, one on TVB here in Hong Kong and one on Korean television. And it's like night and day. In, in Hong Kong, uh, on Hong Kong television, they look like, for the lack of a better word, crap. They look terrible. They their their dancing is sort of badly synchronized. The 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 singing is, is is the recording is terrible. And it's the same song, all right. So it's the same song. So I'm not even gonna talk about the quality of the song. The recording quality is terrible. The dancing is terrible. The camera angles are terrible. But suddenly, when they go on Korean television, it's like they're real professional girl group. So I'm starting to think like, why do Hong Kong? Why are Hong Kongers not able to sort of accept girl groups in their local music? And I think partly it might be because the way that Hong Kong entertainment is presenting them, which is I think I find kind of interesting. Like I didn't realize that, you know, being you know having a different television crew capturing you could actually totally change the way you present it to the public. But anyway, um, great for Shin, and I hope that she makes Hong Kong real proud in the coming weeks. And yeah, I'll talk more about the show when I actually get to see it. All right, sounds good. So not really a bit of news, but we aren't we aren't really going to talk about from Vegas to Macau free here, or we're not going to talk about it extensively. Um, and I feel like oh, we've done we're going to do the two big New Year movies, right? We're doing Monkey King two this week, and we're doing Mermaid next week. So let's briefly talk about from Vegas to Macau free. Um, and I will use a very brief um, word to. Uh, explain or to pretty much sum up the film. Crap. <laughs> it is it is it is a, a creative creativity vacuum personified. It is an old man, the equivalent of a Eskimo old man being about to be sent out on an iceberg trying to celebrate his life and forcing everyone to go to the party and realizing that he's just sort of it's like that old your your grandfather, your nine year old grandfather, who who can't talk about what he did when he was like twenty years old in the war, and then like he he spends like like five hours talking about it. Except he's been talking about it for about thirty years now, and he won't stop talking about it. That's pretty much from Vegas to Macau Free. It is Wong Jing bringing out gags that he's done for the last thirty years and grabbing gags from other films that he didn't do, and and throwing it into one messy pot. Of the worst tasting ice cream you can ever imagine, um, melted and refreezing it and serving it to you as if it's new. Yeah, and there's nothing original about this film. There's nothing new about any of the jokes in this film, and and it's this process into 
what if essentially it is what if those get it, if you take those jokes and make them unfunny that's what like from vegas to macau 3 is um it is a celebration of how stars will essentially do anything if they get paid enough money charm fat pay tons of money would do anything he want. He will. He will. He will be a retard for you for God of Gamblers, and he will be a hypnot hypnotized retard for you for Vegas and Macau Free because he's paid fifty million dollars plus profit sharing. Nick Chen will 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 put on a fake Spider Man costume and do you know play dice for you and act like a clown because he's probably paid again tens of millions of dollars. Andy Lau will will you know pretend to be knocking out robots when you can't really knock out a robot because robots don't go unconscious. And and he will do it because he's paid millions and millions of dollars and so on and so forth. That is what From Vegas to Macau 3 is. It is a void, a empty abyss in which, you know, we throw all our money in and we get nothing back. That is what From Vegas to Macau 3 is. I wish I could go on and on, but I don't know how... Yeah, I'm kind of running... It is Chinese New Year, so I should be a bit kind. But um, yeah, seriously, one of the worst films of the year already. And I can guarantee you it will continue to be one of the worst films of the year for the next 10 months. Paul, I know you are you have other venues or other platforms to talk about the, the, the film, but, but how about a few words? It's just bad, like Kevin said. It's, it's, it's a descent into excess really more than anything else if, it, actually if if the film had any kind of expensive spectacle i would be well, the, kind i would be the, i would the, be like okay i would be impressed but one third of a film takes place within a set yes it's, it's it's from vegas to macau the sitcom but the expensive spectacle here is the cast exactly that that that's the expensive spectacle exactly. and that's what drew me to the theater it's what even after the first two films, you know, sliding down that slope. And I think it's what drew a lot of people to the theater, despite the boycott that you mentioned. Now, for those, if you're if you're not familiar with, with what we're talking about with the boycott, um, you know, Wong Jing came out sometime last year against the students in Occupy, speaking out against them. And he's also had some more negative comments about some people online students you know just kind of lambasting them almost almost in a sort of rush limbaugh-esque kind of way for those of you who know that that particular political media figure but basically saying you know young people today aren't willing to pull themselves up by their bootstraps like he did and work hard and and be successful and these people doing stuff on youtube or dumb and and you know this kind of rhetoric from somebody who's super successful who is in part super successful because he had a an, an in in the industry right. kind of forgetting that forgetting that that whole thing and and in part taking the position like other hong kong celebrities have taken because they don't want to bite the hand that now feeds them which is the big audience up north so because of this there's been this you know pushback by the younger audience to say well we're, we're not going to we're going to boycott but there was no sense of a boycott at our screening that we went to. It was pretty. It wasn't a, a sold out show, but it was a pretty full show. But actually, it did skew <laughs> older because a lot of this boycott was was for you know younger from younger audiences, right? So sure. I did notice sort of a, a a leaning towards a more older audience who don't really care or who actually agree with what Wang Jing says. Yeah, but and here too, it's 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 a case of the older guys, right? I mean, these <clears throat> these, these are the the guys doing what they did, you know, 20 years ago or more and being popular at that and going back to, to, the, to the same old well, in a sense, like you said. For me, the most astounding thing, and, and I, again, I don't want to go too much deeper into it, but the most astounding thing is that this film makes it truly official that it is directly linked to the actual God of Gamblers movie. <laughs> and that's just sad. That's that's really, really just so super sad. It's, you know, it's, it's, I don't know what to equate it with. It's trying to push God of Gamblers into a country that doesn't allow gambling in its films. 
let's face it, you, you realize that all three films, the so-called gambling scenes, they always have to add a line. There's a charity. Even the bad guy, the villain, who is trying to like the villain who all all he cares about is is getting revenge on on Karina allows uh, 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 Karina allows death. It's just saying, oh, by the way, I'm holding this whole you know thing on my on my evil island for charity. Yeah. Charity. It was, it was, it was charity, charity buying the ticket for this movie. <laughs> I mean, even taking away the whole boycott factor, all right? Let's take away the political, the, the, the ideological factor behind people who don't want to watch the film. I would just purely tell people not to watch the film because it's crap. I mean, why subject yourself to this? If you want to watch Chow and Fat, go watch one of his older films. There's, this is not the Chow and Fat we know and love. This is not the child in fact that puts an effort anymore. He's given up. All he does is get money and then he does whatever wanting tells him to do and then he, he goes home and goes to sleep and count his money and, and you know, go out and hike and take more photos of his film old camera. That's that's the that's the Stephen that you know he's a half retired child in fact here who's really everyone's just phoning it in. So why subject yourself to this? Well, I'll be back to talk more about it with uh with some other folks too, and will truly eviscerate it and uh, carry on the legacy that Kevin has just now laid before us. Tab, passing the torch to you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to be continued. To be continued. Yes, sir. Why don't we take a short musical interlude and we'll be back to talk about this week's film, The Monkey King 2. <laughs> And we're back. As we said, it's the monkey year, and so it's appropriate that our first film in the monkey year is the sequel, The Monkey King 2, from director Soi Chung. The story takes place pretty much right after the first film, 500 years after, to be exact. So 500 years after he causes the havoc in heaven, being imprisoned under Five Finger Mountain, the Monkey King encounters Xuan Zeng, the young monk who frees him from his mountain prison. Tasked by the goddess Guanyin to be the monk's protector, the Monkey King journeys with him and his fellow disciples, Piggy and Sand, to recover the Buddhist scriptures in the West. But upon entering the Cloud Kingdom, Xuanzang becomes the target for the legendary White Bone Demon, who covets his flesh, and the Monkey King's own demonic nature may end up being his undoing. Before we get too much into this, the, the, the film itself, let me just say this. What a difference two years makes. And, and <laughs> let me say that in all sincerity, that, that this film goes leaps and bounds beyond <clears throat> what the first one did. And I know this because I rewatched The Monkey King just this past weekend in the buildup to watching this in the cinema. Oof. And I remember being somewhat fair with the film at the time because I do have a little bit of bias. It's one of my favorite Chinese mythological characters and one of my favorite stories, classic stories. The things that I had a problem with in the first film seem to have been for the most part addressed in this one. And we can break it down to a couple areas, cast, effects, um, and some of, some of the incidentals. So let's talk a little bit at first uh, about the cast. So Aaron takes over the role from Donnie. Now, if you've seen the first film, you know Aaron was the antagonist. He played the bull king or the bull demon in the first film. He's now just replaced Donnie as the monkey king. And I've always liked Aaron in martial roles. He's got a good physique. He's got dance ability that serves him well. You think back to even some of his earliest films like The Barefoot Kid, He's, you know, iconic in the role of uh, Cloud in Storm Riders. So he can pull off martial roles without being a renowned martial artist in the caliber of somebody like Donnie Yen. And to be honest, I think he makes for a much better Monkey King uh, than Donnie Yen because he doesn't just bring physicality to the role. 
he brings a lot more character, which I felt fit the, the, the nature of the Monkey King. And I'll get into some of that uh, in a bit more detail in, in just a moment. We also have here in the cast, it's a, it's a relatively small cast, especially compared with a lot of the cameos that they were throwing at us in the first film. You primarily basically have the four um, questers on you know, Xuanzang's side, and you have four demons in opposition and a couple incidental characters along the way. So it's, it's a fairly small cast in, in, in some, no real major cameos, uh, you know, to speak of except for one, which, which I'll mention. But William Feng, Xiao Feng, plays Xuanzang, the, the monk. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, but Louis Ku did the, at least the Cantonese narration from the first film, but I think he was uncredited, right? Yeah, what, wasn't it really, actually, it was quite brief, right? Yeah, it was just, like, just, just, at the very just, end, just like right? at, the, at the very end, you know, and he was narrating from the perspective of Xuanzang. But, right, like there was, that's why you sort of hit all this rumors that he was going to take over yeah. as, as so, the monk, right? If you were yeah. waiting for him to show up, it's not him. Uh, yeah, sorry. It, it is William Fung, but he's, he's very capable in the role. He looks the part. Uh, he brings a naivete to the role that I think is suitable. We have actor Xiao Shenyang as Piggy. He does mostly a lot of mainland China films, but he was the lead in uh, Lion Roars 2, opposite Cecilia Chung. Uh, Heem Law, local stud muffin, plays as <laughs> Monk Sand, right? You'll you'll recognize Heem Law if you've seen, for example, the Young and Dangerous reboot. Uh, he pops up on TVB. He's been in Patrick Kong films. And he was an interesting, he's an interesting choice. When I thought Heem Law is Sand, that, you know, I would think of somebody like Elvis Tsui or, you know, somebody who's naturally bearded, right, to, to, to take up that role. And, uh, but, you know, he was very capable in, in the role. We have Gong Li as the white bone demon, the main protagonist, still looking great and still carrying very strong screen presence as well. You might also recognize Chris Phillips, one of his many names, that's the name I'll use here, as the king of Cloud Kingdom. Uh, he was the over-the-top antagonist wizard in Painted Skin the Resurrection. So he's back here to play a minor role, but one that's somewhat important in the context of the story. There's only one true carryover from the first Monkey King film. That is the role of Guan Yin, played once again by Kelly Chen. Let's talk about the film itself. Uh, the look, the feel, the sound, the smell. No, it's not smell of vision unfortunately. But yes, the FX. Can I say a thousand percent better? Maybe that's an unfair figure. We'll see what Mr. Ma has to say about that. Uh, but that's what I felt like. Not all of it works, but a lot of it does. And I felt that even the worst special effects sequences in this film were still better than the best special effects sequences of the first film. Right at the beginning, it starts off, if you know the story, with Xuanzang meeting Monkey, Monkey escaping from Five Finger Mountain and being tasked to protect him. There's a, an initial battle as he sort of explodes out of the mountain with this CG white tiger. And at that point, I thought, oh, it's kind of, you know, he's flying around and they're fighting as debris is floating. They're jumping from debris to, to pieces of debris. I thought, oh, it's a little bit in the, in the vein of the first film. So I was a little bit nervous with that because some of the CG in that didn't look all that tight. But they quickly moved beyond that. And they get to the initial fight with one of the key characters, which is the River Dragon, or River Dragon Prince, as he's sometimes known. This giant Chinese dragon that lives in the river that initially wants to eat Xuanzang, he ends up eating his horse. And the monkey, monkey King fights him. It's a really dynamic and very visual and visceral fight, and it's super well done. I mean, I was just, it kind of knocked my socks off. And in part because, and this might be because I've been spending some time watching old <laughs> Naya movies, familiar with the character of Naya. Uh, Naya fights the Great Dragon Kings, for example. is one of the great pieces of animation from the Shanghai studios in the 70s. If you're a fan of animation or Chinese mythology at all, you've never seen that. Um, that and Monkeys, Havoc in Heaven are two films that are must-watches if you've not seen them. But the, the, the classic story of Naya who's this 
sort of child deity, and he ends up fighting these dragon kings. Uh, one of my favorite pieces of animation, they've tried to do live action versions in both Hong Kong and Taiwan. And of course, the big challenge is always doing a Chinese dragon, right? And for me, a Chinese dragon, in terms of effects, is much more difficult than a Western dragon, something like Smog, for example. I mean, if you go back to the Disney movie Dragon Slayer, where they actually used a lot of practical effects and miniature effects in combination. That was the first time I think they actually did a sort of fantasy-style dragon really well and, and, and pulled it off. I'm, I'm thinking back to things like The NeverEnding Story with Falcor, who was kind of a cross between a Chinese dragon and a, and a Kirin, I guess, sort of a luck, they called him a luck dragon. But I've never seen a Chinese dragon done truly well, and I think it's in part because Western dragons tend to be much more lizard-like, Right? They tend to be a little bit closer to reality. Whereas the Chinese dragon, it's not a snake. It's not a lizard. It's not a reptile. The way it moves is very alien. It's very different. And so that's always been something I think movies have had a very difficult time visualizing and representing on, on the screen outside of just traditional you know, hand-drawn animation. I know that they did it. They did a Chinese dragon in the Korean movie, um, what was it, Kevin? D-War? Was that the name of it? Was it a Chinese dragon? It was just a crappy... Cur Wasn't it American? Because well, they found it in L.A., right? There, was, there, were, there <laughs> were two dragons, and I think like the, the girl or something became like a Chinese-style dragon at the end, if I remember. Anyway, Jeez. It, was, it, was, it was kind of okay, but still, it didn't really capture the essence of that. We in, prefer not to remember that yeah. movie. In, the, in Monkey King 1... Chow Yun-Fat's uh, Heavenly Emperor character had this sort of mini Chinese dragon that hovered around him and became his sword at a couple points, and then he became this bigger dragon, but that didn't, it wasn't done very well, and it didn't look organic and, and mythical at the same time. It just kind of looked like bad CG. So here, I don't know, I, like I said, knocked my socks off. I felt they really nailed it. It looked like a Chinese dragon. <clears throat> it had the lizard-like characteristics, but it you know, spiraled through the air. It moved like how it seems like they draw dragons when they do Chinese painting. It was still, it still had a beard. It had horns. It, it just looked really good. And it looked like it fit in the space. Now, I saw the 2D version. Maybe if you've, if for people seeing the 3D version, they had a different experience. But it really worked well for me on a 2D screen. I saw the 3D version. Um, but... I don't have any memories of it. Okay. Well, <laughs> Honestly, the reading um, was rather unimpressive, but I'll talk about yeah, talk about yeah. more later. Yeah. So that from that moment on, I was I was very impressed with the film and and the directions that it was going and the level of the improvement that the effects from what I was seeing from the first film. The there's a, a big end fight that you would basically say is kind of like an end boss fight, which I thought was also equally well done again comparing this to two years ago when you had this big fight between the then antagonist Aaron and the heavenly emperor by Chayan Fat and the monkey uh, Donnie's monkey king sort of thrown in the middle especially compared to films from last year like 2015 actually uh, I'm thinking of Zhang Koi Snow Girl and the Dark Crystal for example which characters are sort of monstering out and becoming these supernatural demons and it just looks very bad when they're in a space with an actual actor. It just looks fake. It looks like rendering being done on a PlayStation 2 in some cases. It just doesn't gel well. This film did not have those kinds of problems. It's much better than anything I've seen in uh, you know, these Chinese effects films to date. Many of the particle effects, there are you know, always lots of particle effects, but they blended very well with the actors and actresses. You'll see in the trailer, for example, you'll see scenes of Gong Li sort of flying. She has a couple different particle effects. In one part, she's like enveloped in these sort of these white folds. In another part, it's like this sort of this black uh, glistening, you know, stuff around her miasma or something. It all looked really, really good. That's not perfect. I mean, Piggy's transformation, so Piggy, as a character, when he gets angry, he transforms into this giant demonic hog, somewhat similar to the demon hog from uh, Stephen Chow's uh, Conquering Demons movie. 
here too, I think that those transformations weren't quite as crisp or clean as the river dragon. Some of the demons, there's four demons or three sort of sub demons below Gongli's white bone demon, a bat demon or demoness because they're all female, a snake demoness, and something that I wasn't really sure. It was kind of like either a hedgehog or a porcupine demoness. And when they transform too, it's, it tends to work, but not, not always. And, and, you know, some of the scenes you could see that it, the CG just didn't quite fit. It was close, but not quite there. The other point, too, that I saw with this film was a lot more use of actual sets in place of green screen stages. So whereas the Monkey King 1 was primarily almost always green screen, you only had a couple sequences which, were, which looked like they were on a set. Here they have a lot more actual sets. You can tell they're sets. Some of them are sets mixed with green screen. But for me, it was a little bit nostalgic. It reminded me a little bit more of some of the old Shaw Brother Monkey King films. And I'm okay with that. Some people might not like that look of sort of a closed, smaller physical set. But I kind of prefer that over very obviously fake green screen. You know, it's a big empty studio and there's nothing actually there kind of a set. The practical effects work too, there's a lot of that here, uh, and the art direction I thought really was top-notch as well. Almost everybody's in a suit. So Aaron's in a Monkey King suit, it's a bit less furry and a bit more humanoid than Donnie's suit was. Donnie's suit was just like a complete furry ape suit. I think, and I'll, I'll be interested to see what Kevin says about this, it looked to me like Aaron was all, you know, it was kind of like a muscle suit combo furry suit that it wasn't actual Aaron's physique that we're seeing under there but it looked really good and it blended really well it seemed to fit the character especially the facial makeup and the hair it just seemed much more that character what I expect to see from that character it just looked for me it looked really good Heem Law is in a blue sort of bodysuit and here too Heem Law is a pretty muscular guy. I mean, well, he's pretty well built, but I, you know, they strapped a suit around him too to sort of, you know, show off a larger frame. And his looked pretty good. I mean, a couple of the scenes you can kind of see it looks a little bit plasticky in places, but overall, especially in the action scenes, it gives him a, a sense of size. And he pulled it off. I was surprised. There are a couple points where I'm like, ah, you know, he smiles and they do like a gleam effect on his teeth. I'm like, okay, that's him law. But a lot of it, I lost sight of the fact that, that it was Heemlaw. Piggy also has a fat suit. I th think that could have been done away with. I might have preferred them to cast a fat actor instead, which they've done at times. I mean, you can think to, for example, uh, Stephen Chow's Muntat playing Piggy and just using kind of his own belly. I know that I think in the TV show with Dickie Chung, where Dickie Chung was playing the Monkey King, uh, Wayne Lai was the character playing Piggy. And I think he had a similar kind of like suit where a belly stuck sticks out and it looks kind of plasticky and fake but I, I was okay with it of the suits I think that piggy suit was the least impressive the body suits for the female demons look good though they, you don't get a lot of screen time with them but some of them are in full body suits when they're sort of half transformed and they look very well done they're very well integrated into the shots they're done the lighting's good on them so they don't look overly rubbery this kind of thing so I was very impressed with the practical effects work, with a lot of the other stuff. The music, solid orchestration as well, seemed to fit well, impressed me a lot more than what I was hearing in the first film. There were just a couple points where I took very specific notice of musical cues and the themes that were playing. Part of me wonders, though, you know, what's up with this? Because I stayed through the credits, and I was like, why is this film so much better than the first film? Is it really that much progress in a short amount of time? And I was just paying attention to a lot of the credits, the production houses. I saw a lot of Korean names, Korean production house, one after the other, after the other, after the other, all handling a lot of the CG work. Looked like they had some foreign talent, too, with the practical makeup suits and on the music. So is this a case of outsourcing to get better talent rather than keeping everything in-house, in you know, um, just going into internal Chinese companies? What was the last I, film? Did you look at the credits for I, the first I, one? I, I, don't, I don't remember. That's the thing. I, I didn't pay much attention. But it was something that I was like, why, why is this looking so much better now? Because it's, 
it's like, almost like night and day. I mean, and again, I have this very fresh sort of in, in my mind. The film, too, has some thematic nods to things like Snow White and Iron Man in places. Intentional or not, it's hard to guess, but I think that you can ma- obviously make some of, these, some of these connections if you're you know, familiar with pieces and moments from, from those works. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go and say that they're copying anything at all. Just, you know, some nice little touches. There were a couple moments that did pull me out of the film, though. And at one point early on, when Monkey's first talking with Zhuang he actually says yes, the English word yes. And I was like, <laughs> what? No, no, that's why, why do that? Very interested to see later if in the Mandarin version, uh, that's in there as well. There's a scene later, too, where Piggy's sort of getting ready to be lecherous, and he's skipping into this house with some young maidens, and he's singing the tune to the Smurfs, you know, the la, 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 la. And I think he, like, changes, like, the very last la so that it's a little bit off keys, <laughs> so that they're not, you know, maybe not liable somehow. But it was very much the Smurfs theme. And I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. So those two moments kind of threw me for a little loop, but none of that really dulled my enjoyment of the film. Beat for beat, for me, it's one of the best adaptations of the novels. That might be a problem for some people, though, because it sticks pretty close. That They do make some changes. I mean, so when they encounter Piggy, he's already with Monk Sand. And the books, those are separate encounters, right? There's a big battle with Piggy, and then they have a different encounter with Sand. They do some condensing here to move the story along, which I felt was fine. But for the most part, most people are very familiar with White Bone Demon and the kinds of encounters, the kinds of tricks that end up happening. And it's rife with the repetitious problems of Journey to the West, because Journey to the West is full of a lot of the same things happening. They go to one land, there's a demon that wants to eat the monk, and the monkey knows about it, and he's, you know, ready to do something about it, and the monk's like, no, no, you can't do that, because this is a nice person. That's not a demon, you know, because the demon's using trickery or some kind of wile, and Xuanzang's always reining monkey in until he gets himself in a predicament, and then finally monkey has to come and rescue him. It's got that same, you know, that if you know the story, you kind of know what to expect. And I know that as an antagonist, White Bone Demon has been a go-to. I mean, you see a version of the character in Chinese Odyssey. It's shown up, I think, in a couple of the Dickie Chung TV versions as well. So there, for some people, if you're very familiar, this is not going to be anything new. But I still think it's presented in a very polished package. It looks really good. The um, So overall, I think it was an, an excellent adaptation for me, for my taste, really getting to the core of the Monkey King. I know we talked a little bit about this last time with adaptations and diverging away from the source material to try and dig up, you know, fresh things. But I'm really glad that at least I have this as sort of a pretty good direct adaptation from the book that's well done something that I'm excited to go back and get on video and watch again and again. This would be a film, if I wanted to introduce somebody to a Monkey King film, that I'd be very happy to do so, rather than saying, well, go back and watch the Shaw Brothers stuff, because that stuff's kind of dated, and that's not for everybody. And I'd be almost to the extent to say, just skip part one. If you were somebody who had difficulty getting through part one, skip it. You know, I watched this over the weekend, as I said, and I tried to get my wife to watch it, and she got about a third, maybe halfway in, and she was like, I'm done. I'm out. I can't take <laughs> it. She, she, she just she couldn't take it. It was just too bad for her. And I told her after I watched this, I was like, this is so much better. And so I'm, I'm excited to you know, get it on video and, and, and let her sit and watch it because I think she'll enjoy it. Uh, I think it's got that much better polish on it. So if you've seen the first one and you were completely turned off by it, I'd say definitely don't let that dissuade you from seeing this one. Give this one a chance. Kevin? So so actually I can fill in on some of the things. Um, what happened on the first one was that actually Soi Chen didn't really have creative control. Mm. Um, it was very much a for higher effort, and he actually was been somewhat open about that, like about how he 
pretty much just sort of went autopilot and executed what he was asked to do on the first film. So it was a much more sloppy effort. And I'm not sure about the, the special effects house. None of the stuff is done in-house. I think uh, Korean special effects firm have been doing Chinese films for a long time. And it would have been a huge force for the first film, especially since it was very much a special effects. I mean, it was entirely special effects, right? So they would have used a lot of Korean effects uh, houses as well. But what Soi Chan actually told, I think, Singapore press, or he, he told another press, is that after the success of the first film, he had a lot more clout, right? He's like the billion dollar, billion yuan director now, right? 10 billion yuan director now, right? Right. So he could actually demand things. He actually went to the investors and said, if you want me to make the second film, we have to actually do it like well. We have to do it well and we have to concentrate on quality. So I feel like I think that Soi Chan had more creative input here and he really sort of got into what interests him. And that's, I guess, the, the relationship between the Monkey King and, and the monk. And, you know, a lot more story-driven this time, less less sort of kid-friendly shenanigans, uh, no more no more panda suits running around, thank God. And you were talking about what made the, actually, I, what made the uh, special effects better, and I don't think it's a matter of it being better, but I think it's a matter of actually they use more practical effects this time around. And by practical effects, I mean they actually use sets. They actually shot outdoors. I think uh, some of the stuff is actually shot outdoors, not in the not in the studio. They actually try to interact with real things once in a while, except for the you know CGI skeleton at the end. And uh, you know apparently most of the money, special effects money, went to doing Gong Li's face. And I don't mean like making her face look pretty. I mean they do a lot of special effects thing with her face, right? Yeah. If you notice the eyebrows and all that crap, right? So a lot of, lot of little special effects transformation of her body rather than actually making, you know, these grand, whatever, so-called grand scenery. But um, I, I kind of a personal bias is that I've never actually been that interested in the Monkey King story or I'm re- really not that interested in Journey to the West at all. So for me, like, I didn't really have a lot of fun with the film. I, I think it was okay. Um, it's certainly better than the first film, a lot easier to sit through. Uh, there's a strong sort of center core plot going on. And and even the, you don't even really need the Gongli stuff because, you know, the central story is about the trust between Zhuang Zhong and Wukong, right? So so I thought that's pretty strong core. And while, you know, Aaron does ham it up, you know, he is quite hammy and he's justified in, in, you know, hamming it up as the Monkey King. And, you know, he's a better, I, like you said, I think he's a better Monkey King than Donnie. He's just a more interesting actor in a way and he overacts I think better than Donnie does so it's more fun to watch him. I don't even mind the yes moment. I thought that was kind of cool. I, thought, I, I laughed. I thought it was funny. So so I can't say you know I really enjoy it as much as you did. I just don't have that enjoyment for Monkey King, any journey to the West stories in the first place. But it is I do agree that it is a much better film than the last one and Him Law Blue Man Group. <laughs> <laughs> yes indeed. <laughs> Blue Angry Man. Actually, yeah. I think it's one of the best Hemlock performances. At least one of the most likable Hemlock performances I've seen ever. Which, which uh, I know not saying a lot, but you know, it's a huge. It is something I actually like to see him in this film. So that was rare. Shaoxin Yang, one of the biggest actually comedians in China. I was he was surprisingly good. Oh, good as Peggy. I thought it was surprisingly funny. He's he's always been stronger as a supporting actor than a lead actor, and and I think that he sort of. Has the right balance here as Piggy. And of course, William Fung is William Fung. I always like William Fung, so so no big deal. Uh, no real complaints there. So yeah, it's it's a pretty if you're into this whole fantasy genre, um, you know, I, I think it's a strong, strong film. But unfortunately for me, it's just personally, I'm just not a professional critic, but as you know, just someone who watches movies, I'm not really that super interested in in Journey to the West. So it really wasn't that great of a ride for me but it is subjective objectively speaking it is a much better film than the first one yeah so there you have two sort of opposite points of view on the the content itself so if you fall somewhere within that spectrum you know you'll know how soon you need to get out and, and watch this particular film i will say this that i do agree that the sets made a big difference but there's one there was one shot where i was just kind of in awe uh, it almost looked like a painting, not necessarily a Chinese painting per se, because it had way too much color and, and was way too visual. But the scene where Monkey had gone, he'd left, and he was basically standing on water, and Guan Yin was there, hovering above him with a halo. 
you know, even that, the, the, the way that that looked, the way that they depicted her was so much better than the way they depicted her. It was more majestic than, than in the first film, right? So, I, again, I don't know if it's just two years down the road if, or if it's because they went to better production companies. You know, they had more money. They had the ability to get more people on board who were used to working with this kind of stuff. It was just something that I think really captured the look and feel of these kinds of characters that I've read about and that I've seen Chinese portraits of, and I've seen movies attempt to do it, but I've never really felt them capture that kind of mythical magic in such a, a, a strong visual manner before. And I'm somebody who can go watch an old movie where a guy's beaten up on a rubber suit dragon, right? And I'll, I'll be okay with that. So I'm just very glad that we've gotten to this kind of point. I just hope that this film can give some directors a sort of kick in the pants that they've said, okay, this is what you can do now. The bar's kind of been raised. This is what you should shoot for. And we don't have, you know, just dozens of productions falling back to the PlayStation 2 style renderings of of stuff, which tends to be a little bit too common. I'm hopeful that this can be sort of a Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain moment and that we can really see the industry make some strides here in the next coming couple years. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also have a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. You can also follow us over on Twitter, twitter.com slash kongcast. You can check us out on email if you'd like to drop us a line. We are eastscreen at gmail.com. Also over on Facebook, that is East S West S. And you can check over there to see what we're going to be talking about, what our schedule is going to be for the next couple weeks, these kinds of things. I'd also urge you to follow Mr. Ma in all that he's doing, his daily writings and the work that he does. Kevin, where can they find out more about what you do? Uh, you can read my uh, writing on uh, the, in the entertainment, in-flight entertainment section of Discovery and Silk Road magazines. You can find those on your Cathay Pacific or Dragon Air flights. Or you can find the iPad app for Discovery on your local iTunes store. You can follow me on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. That's one word, thegoldenrock. You can read my blog once in a while uh, at lovehfilm.com. I know I'm promised to update with blog entries. Have not finished it may do it by this weekend not sure yeah uh that's that's about it all right excellent as we said our next show number 186 we're gonna be talking about stephen chow's the mermaid so all of that and more on our next show until then this is the east screen west screen podcast saying gong hei fa choi and we'll see you next time gong hei fa choi everybody see you next week Thank you.